Aloha, this is Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I'm here for another episode of the Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast, aka Curvy Geeky Fangirl recaps or CGF recaps, if you want to be fancy and keep it short. Essentially, I'm here week after week talking about all of the things I've encountered that have struck a chord with this geek. Usually it's TV and film, occasionally it is a book if I come across it and have the time and wherewithal to read it. Usually it's a manga. And I haven't come across any of those this week. So we're going to be keeping it nice and simple with just TV and film this week. I'm going to be covering uh, some of the shows that have come out now that fall is in full swing. So we've got American Horror Story Apocalypse, My Hero Academia, and then a movie that I watched called Slight. You might remember it. It was kind of a big deal. I want to say last year when it was in theaters. It was in theaters for a short time. And then it wasn't. So... I'm going to be talking about that too. So I'm going to be covering all of that. Uh, In the meantime, you can find me all over the place. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me on my website as curvygeekyfangirl.com. It's curvygeekyfangirl for everything. So if you run the search or you're in something, just look for that name. It'll pop right up. You can also find this podcast in a bunch of places now. It's on the Anchor app. It is on iTunes, Google Podcasts, I believe it's called. I think that's what it's called. Spotify, Stitcher, and a bunch of other places I've never ever heard of. So depending on where you listen to your podcast, more than likely this one is popping up there. If it's not there yet, it will be at some point. So there's that. As I say with all of my podcasts, I'd let you guys know ahead of time, it's going to be heavy duty spoilers. I have attempted numerous times to try and break it down with like a non-spoilery review and then jump into the spoilers it never pans out i'm officially throwing in the towel it's not gonna work so spoilers 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 if you haven't seen any of the stuff i'm about to talk about and you don't want to get spoiled pause here catch up come back for the conversation i'd love to hear what you got to say so i'm gonna be kicking it off with my hero academia right after this all right, so we're jumping right into My Hero Academia. So the newest episode dropped over the weekend. Do they drop on Saturdays or Fridays? I watch them on Saturdays. I don't know when it drops. It drops at some point. Uh, but basically, we kind of just caught up where we left off with the previous episode. So previously on My Hero Academia, we saw them go through the trials of getting their hero licenses. Majority of the class got them. A few didn't, surprisingly, and those included some of like the top class members for the school. Mostly because they got in their own way a lot of the time. Bakugo ended up failing because he does not have the personality suited to like care for people who are hurt during an emergency. So there's that. And then we had Todoroki who failed because he was in the midst of a rivalry with this other guy who does wind and I'm, I'm I'm sorry I need to remember his name I'm not going to remember it for a little bit so we're gonna call him wind guy wind guy and him had like beef that he wasn't aware of and then when he became aware of it he didn't like what he was hearing and rather than be like upfront and honest and like I'm sorry it came off that way he just became defensive and petty and it it made them fail it made both of them fail but in the process of that, they ended up kind of coming to terms too. So, so we kind of got a little bit of headway there, but 
but, but Todoroki and Bakugo, two of the best heroes, fighters, students at the school, uh, did not get their licensing. So they've got to study to take a, a basically like a re-exam type of situation. But it's not for a little bit. So we see that going on. And right after all of that broke down, Deku's all aglow because he got his license. We see Bakugo pop the hell up and confront him. And then we get a showdown. So this episode was all about feelings. It was about feelings. Let's be honest. So Bakugo is an asshole. Let's not lie. So he is a very talented, very motivated asshole for the show. This is somebody who has incredible ability, knows how to use this ability, has been using every tool he can in his arsenal to, in order to be the very best, like a Pokemon trailer, trainer. And um, he feels like he's coming up short. So he's coming right off of the trauma of being taken by the villains. Do they have a name? I'm gonna call them the Villain Collective. I don't remember what their name is, but basically, uh, everybody who kept attacking them in the midst of all their training. They managed to kidnap Bakugo a few episodes back. And Bakugo kind of relates that kidnapping and his subsequent release. Because it wasn't all on his own. He actually was saved by his fellow teammates. And All Might. All Might ended up having to take on his biggest foe. Which has been his main rival for the longest. Which is All for One. And you see them fight. And in the process of that, All Might lost his ability. His quirk faded out and Bakugo has some feelings about that because All Might is his biggest inspiration to becoming a pro hero in the first place it's like the one thing him and Deku have in common is that they are enamored with and mildly obsessive with All Might and following in his footsteps so Bakugo is not dumb to his credit he's managed to piece together that there's a stronger connection between Midoriya and all night than he at first, when that he first thought of. Midoriya has let some things slip. There's been some strange occurrences. There's been a lot of coincidences that happens between the two. And Bakugo managed to put together that all might A chose Midoriya to take up, or I guess pick up the baton, pick up the slack uh, from when he re- was forcibly retired from being a pro hero. And also, Facing the fact that Deku is actually not bad at being a pro hero. So we see Bakugo face off with Midoriya and basically tells him, we got to fight until I feel better about why (laughs) All Might has chosen you. And not necessarily that he didn't choose him, but like, what the hell makes Deku so special? And, And plus all of the guilt he's got about All Might losing his ability. And then also we get Deku finally being open and honest about the fact that Bakugo is an asshole. So this is a kid who he thought he was friends with, who he's kind of followed in the footstep of, footsteps of and has admired for so long. And they kind of, in the midst of their fighting, they realize that as much as they are rivals, they also are so similar. So similar, but I liked that event. It took a little bit, but eventually Midoriya finally got to the, to a part where he realized he'd have to give it his all. He'd have to go hard on Bakugo if they were going to settle anything. Of course, it's still Midoriya, so he's still held back a bit. And we see that at the end, after all of their fighting, and it's pretty even blows, back and forth, back and forth, we see Midoriya get the upper hand 
And he has a moment there where he could take Bakugo out. And instead he pulls back like just a little bit. And Bakugo ends up taking the win. But you see Bakugo kind of talk himself out of his win. Like he's like, all right, I've defeated you. I win. And then there's like a hesitation there. And he's like, wait, why did I win? I loved that All Might comes into the foray at the end and like touches on everything that's kind of happened between the two of them and apologizes to Bakugo when it's just like, I understand all of the all of the things that kind of led to this fight and I understand that there's some inadequacies that you're feeling and that Midoriya is also feeling and I apologize for not touching on this a lot sooner because he could have, he could have talked about this a lot sooner. I'm still not exactly sure why we're not telling the people of the school what's happening. It's not exactly a closed secret, but whatever. Uh, but basically, they just have like this nice heart to heart. And it's it's very endearing to see All Might kind of take this paternal role with the boys. One of the things that I would say is a con is that this whole episode was around this fight. Like we didn't get to see anything else that was happening I'm, try- I'm trying to remember. I think the manga was like that for the first half of it. And then the back half is when we met the big three. So the next episode is when we're going to meet the big three. The big three are supposed to be like the top kids that go to My Hero Academia. Or not, the- that's not the name of school. UA, that go to UA. <laughs> what does UA even stand for? I think I've gone over this before and I still don't remember. But anyway, they're the biggest, baddest kids at the school right now. And in the book, they're hilarious. So I'm very interested to see how that's going to transfer into the TV series. The differences for me between the manga and the series when it came to this fight was that we got to see a lot more physical reaction between the two, which makes sense because in the book, you're not going to see them move. It's not a Harry Potter book. But, or yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Um, So I liked that we were able, at least the artists were able to give the characters these concerned looks and like add to the elements of what they were talking about and what they ended up fighting around but ultimately this was an episode about two boys fighting with a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings and not really much resolution other than the resolutions that we've gotten before which is we're both going to continue to be the strongest fighters we can and we're both going to continue to follow in the footsteps of all might i will say it was nice for them to physically point out that Midoriya and Bakugo are essentially two halves of the same whole. You had a whole part there where All Might explains that in his whole career, he's seen what happens when you focus solely on winning and forget about the care that comes into being a hero. And also what happens when you care all the time and don't really focus on winning, like how that can quickly unravel and you need both to balance. And that's what these boys both represent. So that was interesting to see. And it'll be interesting to see where they go moving forward with the big three. I also wonder how long the TV series is. Because we it's very quickly catching up to the manga. But you've also been running a nice clip here. We've had a lot of episodes for this third season. So I'm interested to see where it's ending. But that's pretty much it for My Hero Academia. I'm going to be moving on to American Horror Story Apocalypse right after this. 
Hey there, listener. This is Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I thought I'd take a minute to let you know about another podcast that I do with a friend of mine called the People of Culture Podcast with Shay Cherie Show. So that podcast basically touches on anything culture through the perspective of two women of color. So we give our opinions on a lot of different things and we discuss a lot of different topics that's not necessarily only revolved around geek culture. So if you were in the mood for listening to another podcast or to add another podcast to your list, you should definitely check us out. And that is the People of Culture Podcast. You can also find us on our website, thepocpodcast.com. All right, moving on to American Horror Story Apocalypse. I have a lot of questions. All right, so uh, for a little bit of exposition, American Horror Story Apocalypse is the latest series of the American or the season of the American Horror Story series. As we know, if you watch American Horror Story, each season is usually a whole different story. So they're not really connective. This is one of the first times we're going to see an overlap between the different stories that have been told through American Horror Story. And in a nice way, they're kind of bringing it back to their its roots, back to the beginnings. Uh, so the very first season of American Horror Story was Murder House, which later became titled Murder House because originally it was just called American Horror Story. They didn't know how far they were going to get with it. And now here we are, eight seasons later. Has it been eight years? Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, so Murder House was the first one, and it's supposed to be in conjunction with Coven, which was the third series for American Horror Story supposedly this is going to be showing them in a shared universe, uh, kind of overlapping with whatever is being told in Apocalypse. I am already mad confused and just mad. In general, I thought, well, I had hoped that we would be going into this scene some familiar characters off the bat. That was not the case. So we kick off this first episode. Oh, well, I guess, you know, so they can set the tone for what they want for the series. So we see that basically the world's about to go insane. There are bombs dropping in major cities all around the world. And we get a heads up with the core characters we're following right out the gate, uh, which is some rich chick uh, basically trying to get her hair done. She's in the midst of trying to be an Instagram influencer. She's got her personal assistant there with her and her hairdresser. And she gets the news from Pops that there is a missile headed for the city she's in. She's in L.A. So we see pandemonium happening outside. And this is right after everybody gets alerts on their phones, which was super real. If anybody's had the emergency alert system pop up on their phone, it's always jarring. And you're always like, wait, what is it? Is this real? Do I need to panic right now? It's always a situation. So seeing that pop up added, added for me a nice, a nice little dose of, of reality that we'll be dealing with in case anything crazy goes down. So we see all that happen. Her dad gives her this really strange ramble about how, well, basically the world's about to end, but he managed to secure four spots for himself and his family. Unfortunately, he's traveling with three quarters of his family in Japan, and that's about to get bombed. But he manages to get this message out to his daughter, and it's like, take the plane that we've secured. You've got four tickets. Go to this bunker that's supposed to help protect you from this nuclear disaster. Of course, uh, you see her with the other people that she's with and they kind of all look at each other, but she kind of ignores everything and tries to book it to her car. She makes it to her car. Long story short, we see her ultimately choose to bring along the personnel assistant and the hairdresser and the hairdresser's grandmother because there was a whole moment there where the hairdresser had to go home and get her. 
the hairdresser grandmother is Joan Collins, so that's why she's got to come. So because it's Joan Collins, she's dynasty royalty. We see them get to the bunker, and then we also get introduced to two other characters. We get this teenage component for some reason. It's a young lady named Emily and a young man named Timothy. Timothy just got off of a high of being accepted to the college of choice that he wanted, UCLA, until he was taken by strange people in black suits who were like, he is a prime physical specimen, and we have to take him to a bunker. And his family was like, okay. Like, I mean, the mom put up a little bit of a fight, but the dad was like, eh, do what you gotta do really strange they give a speech about how like his dna is perfect for something in terms of the oncoming nuclear disaster and they briefly <laughs> they briefly touch on the fact that they got this information from ancestry that's been an ongoing conversation for a lot of people about all this dna testing 23s and me's ancestry.coms like after you provide this and you get this service what else are they doing with your dna like what else are they donating it to? So I thought that was a nice little touch on the crazy. What cracks me up is that they think that this is the only way to get DNA from somebody. We literally shed DNA on a daily basis. They don't really need you to send in your spit. But that's neither here nor there. So we see that. We see that come down. And they get, take the, they get put in these random cages like hamsters. And then apparently the bomb hit. So we see a lot of shaking and a lot of aftermath, but not a lot of on the ground eyewitness accounts at all. We see like an explosion from the plane. We see the two kids kind of get rocked in the cages that they're in. And eventually everybody meets up at this bunker. This bunker is set up to look like a very antique, vintage, uh, Victorian style haunted house type of place. They're even in like Victorian style outfit it's an attire for some reason they're literally living by candlelight all they have for entertainment purposes are books each other and a strange very steampunk looking radio that plays one song all the time we also see the costs of living in this bunker and of course it's american horror story so these costs are steep we immediately see two people get blown away get shot for doing something against the rules of the place. I gotta give them props on the outfit attire that they're using. Like I said, they're doing a lot of Victorian-esque type wear. It's very severe, it's very form-fitting, and they're also implementing a lot of Victorian-esque style rules with things like dinners promptly at this time, dress appropriately, yada, 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 yada. It's very interesting. And then they also wear uh, like the plague masks. So. It's that, that long horned look that was used by plague doctors. And if you know anything about the history around those death masks, because they were scary as hell, there was a function to them. So they would wear them like that so that they could stuff herbs and other like better smelling things close to their faces when they're dealing with all this death all over the place. Because, you know, dead bodies can stink a little bit after a while. So, but they have that style as like hazmat suits for some reason. It's a nice aesthetic, but doesn't really explain why it's like this, but it adds to the aesthetic, so sure, that's fine. And then we get the inner workings of what's happening in the bunker. So we have the people who were invited or paid that ridiculous fee, like $100 million to, get, to be saved before the blasts occurred. And they're being treated like, not in, not in they have indentured servants, but, they're, be, they're being treated like prisoners, essentially. 
Their food is slowly but surely being taken away from them. Uh, they at any moment could be killed or dragged off into obscurity. We see pretty quickly also into the show that like their spots in the bunker are not not permanent. They're not secured. So if they can think there's if the what are they called the the it's not the I want to say the collaboration the corporation. The collaborative, I want to say it's that one. The collaborative, there's two representatives for the collaborative that we see the most. And they're both women. It's Kathy Bates and, I'm going to have to look up her name because I never remember names, but I came prepared. Oh, maybe. Nope, my computer doesn't want to work. Just kidding. Everything is a lie. Everything is a lie. And it sucks. Really? How far into this do I have to go? So I said, Kathy Bates, here we go. Goodness gracious, took forever. So Kathy Bates and Sarah Paulson are the two leads we see that are supposed to be the faces of the collective. I'm going to say the collective. And they are severe. They are using hardcore bully tactics. We even get a takeaway scene of them, like just living in the joy of the fact that they have complete control over these other people's lives and they're just gonna do whatever the fuck they want to do they're like there is nobody else but us is the mentality that they keep saying and repeating and putting up front as to the reason as to why they're doing all of this it i wouldn't put it past them to create situations where these people are being stressed to their limits on a regular just for their entertainment so i don't think they're actually I didn't think I should take that. Let me correct that. I didn't think that they were actually dealing with a food shortage because we see them at first like begging for real food because they're getting these weird food food cubes. It's like gelatin cubes that supposedly have all the minerals and vitamins they need for whatever. But you see that cube change like in portion and it's slowly but surely being taken away. And then we get announcements that like there's not going to be any more breakfast after this and you're lucky we even have this much. There was a whole scene, like it may have been a cannibal scene, when one of the, well, one, one of the purples is what they call them. Oh yeah, there's also like a, a tear happening inside the bunker. So you have the purples, who are the people who bought the tickets. They're supposed to be the elite. And then you have the grays under them, who are the servants, who are just like doing all the menial tasks around the place. One of the purples got shot and killed. They, uh, Sarah Paulson's character and Kathy Bates' character has made up a situation where one of them was supposedly radioactive and they straight up murdered a dude. And then they implied that they cooked him up and served him back to the people. It was a hot mess and madness. And other than it being a scare tactic to further mess with everybody, I don't know what the point of that was, unless this is all scare tactics to mess with everybody which they're kind of, it kind of is implying. The biggest thing that we saw was at the very, very end, well, aside from the, I'll get to my cons, but the biggest thing that we saw at the very, very end of the series was the introduction of an introduction of another character. We see this man come and he's in a horse and carriage for some reason. I don't even, and then traveling in the wasteland. He's traveling in a wasteland. They're talking about how nuclear winter has hit. If you know anything about nuclear winter, you know that's when we get into sub-zero temperatures, first of all, but also that it's when like a lot of the fallout is happening from all the radioactivity. So he shouldn't be able to travel through that. 
and survive, but here he is. He's here. Even the horses weren't untouched by everything that was going on, so questions. But he shows up, and he has glorious blonde hair. He's got glorious blonde locks that he is waving as he gets into there, and he immediately talks with uh, Sarah Paulson's character, and it's just like, hey, what's going on? And immediately, he kind of gives an air of like, I'm better than you, and you know I'm better than you, but we're going to go through this because we're required to kind of thing. And he's just talking to her about how like all of the other outposts have been ravaged. They're one of the few that is still standing and he's there to take them to like a super safe version of one of these outposts. Uh, but as long as they pass whatever this test is that he's got to see if they're even valuable for the move or whatever. So this character I found out later afterwards is actually a character named Michael Langdon. So Langdon should be a name that should ring a bell because it's connected to Murder House. So Murder House involved randomly like an Antichrist storyline. To me, it was random because we got like a lot of poltergeists and then randomly Antichrist storyline. It was okay. So uh, there was a character in there who was also a Langdon, and that was played by Evan Peters. Basically, this guy was a poltergeist. He was in a demonic spirit that was trapped in that house. He falls in love with the teenage girl in the story. Um, oh, no, he doesn't take her life. She takes her own life. But like, okay, and again, this is credit to Evan Peters acting. The way they set it up and the way the story ruled out and very much made it look like he had fallen deep in love with this character, like hardcore. And then all of a sudden, all this stuff starts getting taken away from him and he's having to teach her how to do things. Um, but then we find out that that it is a face that has that had been feeling so much feelings this entire time was evil. He was evil. Uh, he played Tate Langdon. Oh, he played Tate in that too. So he played Tate Langdon in Murder House. So the Langdons, as you can see, that name should ring a bell. The mother of the girl that he fell in love with, he had sex with. So Michael Langdon is the child of that that evil union. So basically, randomly, Tate's character would dress up as a leather man. And then he would like stalk her. He would stalk the mother and then raped her at some point. Mind you, he's dead, also no consent, but also randomly pregnancy. And this pregnancy moved fast. And then it became this whole thing about this baby being the Antichrist and yada yada yada. At the very end of it, mind you, the whole family dies. The whole family in that house dies. <laughs> but they managed to trap Tate uh, into a different, I want to say a different realm because they literally closed the door on him. So I want to say they trapped him into a different realm. They managed to take control of the house as ghosts so they can manage the other ghosts that actually also occupy the house. And Michael managed to survive all of this and was being raised, at least being taken care of, by Tate's actual living mother who knew about everything that was going on but still was like, yeah, I'm just going to do what I have to do to take care of this baby. So that how that's how the first season ended. So now we're in American Horror Story Apocalypse with a full-ass grown Michael Langdon, Antichrist himself. And we end the episode with him showing up, saying he's got some tests to run so that he can choose the best of the best to come into the house. Done. The pros of this that I liked was that... It's American Horror Story. So you get the American Horror Story feel. You get familiar faces, but in new character form, which is... Uh, 
it's always weird at the very, very beginning because you're like, okay, I'll go with it. But especially weird with how we know this series is supposed to roll out. We know that there's going to be an overlap between Coven and Murder House, and they're still using Evan Peters to play another role in this new group of people. I don't... What? Um, I don't understand how they're going to overlap all these storylines. I can see the tie-in for Murder House because we have Michael Landon right there. But how is this going to tie into Coven? Coven didn't really go over a lot of Antichrist-ish stuff. It kind of dealt with its own stuff in-house. So it was mostly like about these girls and the power dynamic between these girls. I guess you could say there's a whole part in there where uh, some of the older witches end up dying and go to a type of hell that's run uh, by Marie Laveau's, I want to say paramour, but the guy that she did business with. And because um, I don't even know that he's actually demonic, but they definitely did not go to a good place. So they were trapped in like a purgatory of sorts. So I could see how that could kind of overlap. But also in the announcing of the casting, we have a lot of people who died in these previous seasons who are going to just be somehow tapped into the storyline at some point. But we also didn't get any groundwork for the coven aspect to be crossed over into the story yet. And if you know anything about American Horror Story, you know they like to take their sweet ass time in telling the story. They usually get 20 some odd episodes to tell this whole thing. So it's going to be a long ride. We can't binge it. It is literally week to week. And right now, I have way more questions than what I would necessarily keep me interested to keep watching the show. <laughs> to keep watching the show. I didn't watch Cult. I didn't watch, what was the other one? Roanoke? Or, or was it the same one? I don't even know. I haven't caught up on a lot of them since the hotel. So after hotel, I stopped watching American Horror Story. I don't know what the other ones were about. And I'm tapping back in for this recent one because they promised to overlap my two favorite seasons, Murder House and Coven. So here's hoping. Here's hoping we get to that at some point. I also don't really understand why we have Timothy and Emily in this story why are they here i mean i understand that they're that's part of the dynamic of the story we're supposed to wonder why they were chosen what were they chosen for why are they here but i also don't understand why we need to add on this romance layer like for what purpose we get a, a random like cramped together throwaway side piece of them being like, you know, after 18 months, we got to know each other and then we fell in love. And now we still like one kiss a day so that we don't get in trouble because whatever. Why, why do we need this buildup? Why do we need these stakes? Questions? Questions. I'm hoping this means that Emily's going to be a part of Coven. Like they're gonna tap into her and realize that she's a witch and that's why she was chosen. Um, we don't have any male witches in Coven at all. So it'd be cool if Timothy was one. I'm gonna put that out there as well. Is there, are we gonna tap into that at some point? Uh, but who knows? Who knows? So basically, overall, it, the return to American Horror Story was still true to form. It still very much felt like an American Horror Story episode, especially with all the faces we normally see uh, doing their thing, playing these new characters. I just wanted more of Coven 
and to be in this episode that I would have loved it if we just jumped in and it picked up on Queenie talking her mess like she usually does and then we got the little story about the world ending and them having to figure out how to protect themselves I would have I would have loved that but that's not how American Horror Story normally works so I'm gonna keep watching it because eventually we're gonna see them they're in the casting we know that they're signed on so eventually we'll see them I'm just gonna be really really mad if we don't see them until the last episode which I also wouldn't put past Ryan Murphy's ass at all to build up that this is a huge overlap between two seasons which he's never ever done and just not show any of that until the last episode I wouldn't put it past him so there's that also that so I'm going to be talking about slight next after this Hey, it's Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to this podcast and also to ask you to rate, subscribe, and comment anywhere you hear this podcast because it really helps me out. Just let me know on what it is that you guys like to listen to or what you think I should skip over. You can also reach me through my social medias. I am everywhere as Curvy Geeky Fangirl. With the exception of Twitter, of course, Twitter has limitations. So take out that A and take out that I on Fangirl, but you'll still reach me that way. You can also hit me up at my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. All right, moving right on in to Slight. So how many of y'all even know what Slight is? Let's, let's, Let's put that out there. Let me give you some background, a little exposition. Back in the day, I want to say last year, I want to say last year, it was right off the heels of Get Out. So it was kind of trying to build on the, I guess, popularity of Get Out. Because, you know, unfortunately, Get Out was one of the few movies of, was it 2017? 2016? Whatever year it was that Get Out came out on. It was one of the few times that we had a black lead playing in a film that typically didn't usually have a black lead. And Slight was following in that footsteps and being a superhero slash science fiction slash fantasy type movie with a black lead. Because we magical black people don't exist, unfortunately, in a lot of media. So when it happens, we're like, wait, what? Are they going to play a demon? They're not playing demons. They're the heroes of the story. What's happening? So... That was Slight. Slight was, Slight came out, it was, it's 2016. Holy cow. Ugh, 2016. Okay. Oh no, it released in 2017. Just kidding. So, it came out in like that spring of 2017 and it was an indie film that had made it into the mainstream, I think. That was the feel they gave it, was like, this was an indie project that is now mainstream, support it where you can, type of thing. I did not, unfortunately, support it when it came out in theaters. For one reason or another, I just never got the chance to go. So I was on Stars earlier this week and came across it in Stars, and I was like, "Well, boom! I can watch it here." I should have noted by the star rating why it kind of disappeared from the theaters because it wasn't in the theaters for very long, and then and no one talked about it at all. I was like, "Okay, okay," so. Slight, in case you don't know what this film is about, it is about a street magician, this young black kid uh, who just loves magic and he does some pretty amazing performances right there on boardwalks or sidewalks or wherever to make money. And then he also has a side hustle that he does to keep a living. He takes care of a little sister. It's just him and his little sister. 
Uh, and we kind of see like his day-to-day life. So it's him doing his magic, taking care of his sister, doing his other work, and falling in love a little bit. We get a love interest in that story. Eventually, it culminates to a point where he's doing business with some bad people. His sister gets taken as collateral for whatever terrible decision he had made, and he's on a quest to go save his sister. That's how they built up the story, which sounds great on paper. And then you watch the movie. So I'm going to break it down into pros and cons because that's what I've been doing. So the pros, the happy points for me when it came to watching Slight was A, we were wa- this is a superhero-esque type movie with a nice little different spin on it. Usually when we get black-led superhero stories, not to say this is completely innocent of it, but usually it's like steeped in the fact that they are so poor and so black and just can't do anything, unfortunately. And then all of a sudden, magically, they rise from the ashes like a phoenix. This wasn't that type of a story. So this was a story where this kid knew he was making a bad decision, made it anyway, because it was going to be the easiest and the fastest way for him to get something done, and then dealt with the repercussions of that. So that that was nice. We also saw somebody who wasn't your typical, like, I don't say, well, jock-ass type. So he wasn't somebody who was like over six feet and hugely built with like muscles on muscles on muscles. This was your regular, average, everyday kid, slim build, doing what he can to make ends meet. Uh, I also like that he was a nerd. Homeboy is a magic nerd. He is a huge magic enthusiast. You see it in the the decor around his house. He's got like shrines to Houdini and whatnot. And just how he talks about magic and the the conversation that he has about magic itself. You can tell that this is somebody, or at least this is a character who's just enamored with it on a huge, huge scale. Uh, now we're gonna continue with the pros. So then also the lore around the universe for this film was very interesting too. It wasn't something you get a lot of the time. This is somebody who self-built himself to do what he needs to do kind of deal and not in like an iron man and now i'm going to save the world type of way but like a holy ish i need to do something to take care of me and my sister and also give me an edge in the magic that i'm doing that's kind of what we saw but i liked that lore i liked that there's this this academic almost side of him and they hint like a circle of other people, also people who are in magic that just kind of go above and beyond when it comes to their skill sets and their passion for magic as a whole. Also, Gus was in it. So Dulé Hill played an antagonist character and he's amazing. He's amazing and crazy talented. And it was just nice to see his face on screen again. It's been a little bit since Psych has taken their break. We did get their little movie, their little comeback movie, I want to say last year too, as like a catch up of everything. But it was just nice to see him back on screen. So it was nice to see Dooley Hill. On to the cons. So this movie takes forever to get to the point of its story. It takes a really long time. It almost feels like it gets lost in the buildup of the story like it does a lot of exposition that we don't need like and they brush over the stuff that we do need i would love to know more about what happened to his parents so it's just him and his sister 
and for something happened to their parents. Their parents are dead. We definitely know their parents are gone. We don't know why they're gone. We don't know when this happened. We don't know anything. Just kind of brush against that. Which I would forgive if we jumped immediately into more action for the film, but we don't. We don't jump into more action for the film. We just get a lot more talking, a lot more dialogue around why he loves magic, like just by itself, just by itself, all of this conversation about why he loves magic. We got it. He loves magic. This is And then also, um, they introduce random characters into the film at like it's the, in the last act and like the third act that we could have used the exposition for. Like at the end, near the end of this film, all of a sudden our main character is turning to his mentor to figure out how to best use his ability to save his sister. And it's a mentor that we never come across prior to this random third act. So he just like pops the hell up. He just like makes a phone call and then is like, hey, I need your help. And this random person is just like, okay, cool, come on over. And that's it. We don't get any background story. Why is their connection so tight? Nothing, nothing. It was really random and really late and it didn't make sense and it didn't fit well into the story. We also got, or I should say, how he gets his magic is very briefly explained. I don't know if that's because they were trying to stay true. No, I don't even think it's because they were trying to stay true to like the magician code or anything where you don't go into a trick because it wasn't really a trick. So basically we see moments where this guy has like, is changing or is washing up after the day and you see him roll up a sleeve on his, on his arm to expose his shoulder and there's a full, some kind of weird tech embedded into his body, into his arm. And you can see that it's not done well. So it's like protruding and he's constantly cleaning it, which means it's constantly being infected and whatever, whatever. But for whatever reason, it creates like a sort of magnetism that he can wield with his hands. And they don't really fully explain how it is that he came across this tech or how he created it himself. They, they allude to the fact that he did it for a school project at some point. Again, this was all in the third act, but he's talking to his mentor, who happened to be his teacher for said project. So we don't find any of this out until the very end of the movie that he, in high school, created this thing, engineered this tech so that he could use it as magnetism in his hand. What? 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 Also, his side hustle is dealing drugs on the side. So the, the crux of this movie is the fact that he is in league with drug dealers, betrays them at some point, and then has to pay the consequences of it. So it's not even like these drug dealers were lording the fact that they could take his sister away at any time over his head for the whole movie. He instigated something and they reacted. Like that, that's how it drops in the movie. He does something stupid and they make him pay for it basically. Like, what the fuck? So basically, apparently he got into business with Dulé Hill's character. And apparently the whole thing was you would buy your way in. So he was like, or I don't even know how they worked this, but supposedly he owed this drug dealer money. So he goes in and apparently he has to deal drugs until he makes up the quota, supposedly. 
it just doesn't make sense as to why he owes this dude money. Why he, well, I mean, we understand why he can't pay it off because the killer, this guy wants him to stick around because he's, he's pretty good at what he does. He's able to get to clientele that would otherwise be uncomfortable dealing with, you know, day-to-day dealers. But he also decides he needs to make money fast. So he takes the supply he's given, cuts it up, and then redistributes it, thinking he's not going to get caught. When they had literally just busted somebody else in the midst of the story who did the exact same thing. So, what? So I almost don't blame Dulé Hill's character at all for going back after him and being like, what the fuck? What are you doing? What is happening? So we see that it was very, I don't want to say sloppily done, but it was messy. It was just like, why did this aspect need to be told the way that it's being told? We would have bought it if he was down on his luck, needed money to help with his sister, and that's how he got in and over his head. We didn't need this added element of him also being dumb just to add more issues to what he's dealing with in the first place. Like, and what does this have to do with his magic? So then we also get the fact that, um, oh, we get to a point where he's gotta amp it up because after he does something stupid and Dooley Hill's character takes his sister, He's got to, like, increase the power of his tech so that he can fight against these guys. Also not clearly explained. But also, you'd really have to hope for, like, a lot of metal to just be around and we're free to do this. Like, okay. But whatever. So after he speaks with his mentor and they figure out a way to power it more, they also touch on the fact that he's going to quickly... I mean, quickly overwrite the secretary of his tech. So it's just going to be burning a hole in his arm. He's just going to, he's going to lose that arm. He's going to lose mobility in that arm. And he's like, it's worth it because of course, story. They manage to make it come true. They get the tech to work. He goes after to save his sister. The effects for the film, mind you, it probably was budgetary reasons, weren't the greatest. It's a lot of things flying at him. That's it. That's it. Like, they, they hype this up to be a huge reveal for it to be what we'd normally see Magneto do when he's sleepy. Like, okay, sure. And then they end it with him, well, with him getting his sister. But then you're just like, what? He There's a whole part where he gets his sister. They make their move because that, ha- that has also been part of the plan, apparently. Get out from the drug business. Move to San Diego. Do your street magician stuff there to create whatever new life it is that they're trying to create. Mind you, they're moving from LA to San Diego. So if anybody was going to come looking for them, they don't need to go that far. Anyway, the very, very end of this is him and the girlfriend. He, so he makes a girlfriend in the midst of the story. Living their best lives. He tucks himself away in his office to work on, I guess, more tech or something. Door closes. But we hear whirring and lights flickering. And we're supposed to take that to mean that either he has electrocuted himself or he's created even better tech to do something with. It was, again, it didn't give you a lot of answers. You're like, why did we need this at the very end of this? I don't understand what this implies. And it took us forever to get here. Like, even my explanation is boring me. Like, this took us so long to get here. The movie has a lot of good aspects. There's a lot. I can see the ideas behind it being really, really good. It's very interesting. The ideas are very interesting. They're just not constructed well when they put it, when they were put into film. 
Um, also, Dulé Hill. So this is not a knock against him or his talent. It's more so the fact that he did so well playing Gus in Psych. And I loved Psych. And that show went on for a long time. Seeing him play a drug dealer who's supposed to be violent and willing to kill somebody at the drop of the hat was a stretch for me. I kept waiting for him to like shriek or say he's just kidding. Like I kept waiting for that. And again, it's not a knock against Dulé's performance at all because he kills it. At Towards the end of it, I was finally able to put away the me missing Gus to enjoy his performance. <laughs> but I just, I just could not shake the Gus the whole time I was watching it. I was just like, oh my gosh, Gus, what is happening? What are you doing? What's going on? But that's not really a con. That's more just a Joe. That's a Joe thing that she needs to get over. So, you know, whatever. But yeah, so that's it. That's it for Slight. It was okay. It, was, it had promise. It had promise. I want to say it's not a bad movie, but it's just a long movie. It's a long movie. And maybe going into it, I was expecting so much more because I watch a lot of superhero movies. I I read up on a lot of superhero lore. So seeing this come into the fray, as exciting as it was to see it, a different interpretation done uh, around the hero genre, it just took a really long time to get to and get through. So... Yeah, yeah, but you know what? If you've seen it and you loved it, let me know. Hit me up in the comments. If you have the Anchor app, you can leave a message and I can play it in the next episode and tell me if you if you just absolutely love this movie. But I just was like, I don't understand. I don't understand. What is, what is happening? So, all of that. Also, uh, moving on into DC streaming service randomly. I'm gonna randomly add this in here too. DC streaming service actually dropped over the weekend. It's supposed to be like this amazing, well, I don't want to say supposed to be, but it's been amped up. It's been promoted heavily and marketed heavily as as a source for all things DC, comics, TV, movies. You're supposed to be able to get your hands on it. I checked it out. I am. I sucked it up and I'm paying the, the monthly fee. I'd be damned if I'm paying the annual fee. I am not paying the annual fee. Even if I do decide to keep this, I don't know. Anyway, I know that logistically you end up paying more when you're doing month to month versus for the full year, but I still don't have enough trust in this streaming platform to pay for a full year. So there's that. So it's eight bucks a month. They're giving you a seven day free trial when you sign up. Uh, it's very interesting to sign up. So I signed up online online i signed up online because i had issues trying to sign up on my phone they tell you it's on your app you can do it through your apple iphone oh i'm sorry your apple what is it directory uh where you download your your apps you can get through the app store there you can do it through the app store through your android or google google what or uh no it is google google play yeah google play store or something uh, it's also on Roku. So I've got a Roku. And I was like, awesome. So I added the channel. Signing in has been a bitch. It's been insane. Like, you can, I can sign in on my laptop, no problem. Signing in on my iPhone app, not happening. Signing in on my Roku app, also not happening. I already paid for this damn subscription service. And I'm already having issues. I want it to be set up like it is with Netflix, where you have one sign-in. And that gets you into all of its platforms at any time. On the computer, on the Roku, 
on your phone. It's the same sign in every single time. Easy. Granted, it just launched. It just launched. They just finished their beta period. I'm sure they're still working out bugs, but it's not a good look right now, DC. I was already skeptical of you. Not only that, but I got into, on, on my computer, got into the actual streaming platform to see what series they've got available. Some series look interesting. Like I didn't realize Superboy had a live action component and actually ran for like a few seasons. Uh, and you know, they've got some of the old favorites. So you've got my Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Lois and Clark, which is the Dean Cain Superman show. Uh, that's the show I grew up watching. You've got the Christopher Reeve movies in there, but not all of them. So it's some of them. You've also got some of the Batman series in there. And they have a comic book section, which I'm still, I have questions. I mean, it, you've got a nice selection, but it's not a huge selection. And if you are a hard book, a hard, well, I should, well, if you're a, a nice fan, of the comics, I am sure you probably have gone through most of these comics. So you've got some vintages, but most of them are like present day, like pretty recent books that you probably already have. So I don't know what that's about. Also all the new shows that they kept hinting at and talking about, none of those shows are dropping until like October. So why did I buy this now? Well, I'm, maybe it's just me mad at myself because I'm not understanding the limitations with signing in. I'm not understanding the limitations in the content they've got. <laughs> like they built it up like, yo, it's going to be amazing. There's going to be so much stuff. And now that it's launched and you're able, when you're, when you're able to finally get in, you're like lackluster. Like, oh, I could have caught all of this on a YouTube channel. Okay. But whatever, I, it's, it's probably super nitpicky because it is a brand new streaming service and I already gave them my monies, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. I'm going to hold out hope until I can catch their first live action show, which is going to be Titans. The trailer did not make me want to watch it, but I'm going to watch it because I love Beast Boy and I love Starfire. So they're going to be in this and they're being played by people of color. So gonna try and check it out and see what's going on and I'm gonna hope for the best I mean one of the things that DC or D, at least DC fans have always told me about DC is that it's not afraid to go dark okay cool but that trailer for Titans was straight out of Birds of Prey and if you remember Birds of Prey it tried to be dark but it was not so we'll see we'll see how that goes that's gonna wrap it up for the Groovy Geeky Fangirl podcast here like I always say, or have been saying, if you want to comment or react to any of the stuff that I covered, you want to give your own input on certain things, how do you guys feel about American Horror Story Apocalypse or My Hero Academia? Or if you caught slight, what you thought of it, let me know. You can hit me up in Twitter under Kirby Geeky Fangirl. You can hit me up on Instagram. I'm kind of active on that. You definitely can hit me up on my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. You can leave a message uh, if you're listening to this through the Anchor app. As always, rate if you can, comment, and subscribe to this podcast. I'm trying to get back into doing this week after week. It's going to get a lot easier once the fall season gets into full swing and we have all the shows coming out. But like I said, that's not happening until like almost October. So we'll see. We'll see how it all works. And yeah, I will catch you guys back here next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. That series is on the DC streaming service. So there you go. Uh, and yeah, 
that's pretty much going to be it. I hope you guys have a great week. Bye.